How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, also from The Athletic. You are listening to the latest edition of Beyond the Scrum, The Athletic's podcast about baseball and media and both our industries, which still exist. So, Mark, how are you, man? Good to see you. I'm seeing you through a Zoom right now. Yeah, I, I was just going to comment. Nice bandana, number Thank one. You. Um, and Thank you, you. you. You hold the mic up there. Like, everybody else uses a mic stand or they have, like, a cool little setup like our producer does. Mm-hmm. And you, you hold the mic like you're, you know, mean Gene Okerlund and somebody's about to cut a promo. It's kind of yeah. weird. Uh, Mark, I mean, there's a couple things here. Uh, well, really, there's just one. Well, no, there is two. Two. Uh, th- here's the one. I don't know if I have a mic stand, but I do know that I don't know how to put it together. So I have a hand. I've got a, a hand is a mic stand is what I'm saying. Like, I'm going to put this hand to you while I'm doing this podcast with you. What hat are you wearing? Uh, so our old friend Jeff Bradley has a baseball glove company now, oh, Bradley okay. Baseball Gloves. Um, they're beautiful, by the way. And when yeah. Rosie is of age, it's, I've already told Jeff that's the first <clears throat> mitt I'm getting her is from there. They're beautiful gloves. You should check it out. Uh, so I'm wearing his hat. Wow, that's a nice hat. Was yeah, there like yeah. the leather, right? Yeah, they're leather. They're like, I mean, you know, like it's it's a hardcore baseball family, right? Jeff right. played ball in, in college. It was yep. our co-worker back in the day. Um, the ledger, yep. Yep. And his brother, obviously, is a big league catcher. You know, dad's a legendary coach. Like they've got, you know, a big time soccer player in the family, uh, you know, big time Jersey roots. That's where I live now. Anyway, uh, you know, Jeff knows I like hats. I have this collection. He sent them, sent this over uh, maybe last month. Uh, so thanks, Jeff. Uh, and, and no, I'm rocking it, man. So check <laughs> yeah, him out. Like they're they're for real. Like they're they're beautiful. They're beautiful yeah. gloves. The great thing about like I, you know, like you send me anything, and I'll say like this is great. <laughs> like, I don't but know. I mean it with theirs. Like I, you know, like it's they are they're beautiful. So Mark, we have a few things to talk about this week. No guests, just you and me. Uh, you know, we're uh, we're gonna get back to our roots of just uh, you and me chopping it up. We have a few things we want to talk about. We uh, I wrote a column that's coming out later this week, kind of about the strangeness of uh, of baseball and kind of the current moment. I know a, a unique topic. Uh, we also did our first annual naming of the aces, which we spent a, a good portion of time talking to lots of people in the sport about. Um, who are the best pitchers in baseball. And, uh, and you also put out an absolutely ridiculous piece of content last week, uh, ranking all the ballparks in baseball. Uh, my first question is just what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I, you didn't like the list? I, I mean, there's so many things wrong with this list. Well, you tell me, Andy, since you're the arbiter, like, I mean, what, what is the John Fogarty of this list, I guess? Let, let, let me ask you, like, what, what did I really egregiously screw up? Okay, here? I mean, well, let, we can just start at the top. You think the best ballpark in baseball is Dodger Stadium? Um, I do. Which is spoken like a man who's never tried to use an elevator at Dodger Stadium. Um, <laughs> spoken like a man who's never had to eat a meal at Dodger Stadium. Spoken like someone who's never, you know, tried to find like a good hamburger at Dodger Stadium. I mean, look, the history of Dodger Stadium is, you know, it's very, very important to baseball, all those sorts of things. Although if you read, you know, Eric Nussbaum's book, you might have some different thoughts about that. But, you know, its place in baseball history is secure. Look, it's a dump. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is. I don't. Is this, is this heel turn one thing I mean, it's around just here? speaking truth to power. It's, I mean, it's, there's so wow. many better ballparks and to have it at number one is outrageous. And then, you know, you yeah. like, 
you know, you, you play the hits like, oh, Wrigley and Fenway, they're great. You know, uh, you, know you, you, you shout out all your 49er fan friends by saying that the Giants had the third best <laughs> park. And then you have an actual top five park at number five in Camden Yards. I mean, it's just uh... it's, a, it's a disaster of a list. Yeah. Well, first of all, your opinions are clearly horseshit. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. like this Ask is just no, 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 no. This is no. This is story. your. This is the height of Andy McCullough. I am hipper than you. Bullshit. Right now, <laughs> like, come on. Like, are you you? T- okay, I get if you think Dodger Stadium isn't number one. I, I I get that argument, but to behave as if it's an ashtray that I put up in the top five just because of some weird sentimentality or bad taste is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like, so, I, like, so as a matter of fact, we were talking about this before going in the air. It, these are so much fun to write because you just never know yeah. what kind of response you're going to yeah, get, yeah. right? There's like 600 comments yeah. on there, right. and half the people are just like, you're the biggest idiot <laughs> on earth. And the other half of the people are just like, yeah, right. finally someone gets right. it. Someone gets I it. feel yeah. heard, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which is just fun. But, like, so, but what makes me laugh the most, and is part of your screed there, uh, is that... You know, something like Dodger Stadium, like, is it, re- is it really awful? Like, I, I mean, I get if it's not your favorite, but to say that it is awful is like, well, you've clearly sound like someone who's never taken a lap through Candlestick Park. You want to know awful? A place that smells like shit, that smells like piss, that smells like wet grass, a place that, like, you can't see anything it was hard to get around you had to climb a giant hill to get into the ballpark the team stunk the weather stunk there was nothing to look this at is, like is, it and the food was terrible material it's immaterial yeah but okay. no 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 it is no 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 it is it is totally okay. material it, it is, stadium's better than candlestick congratulations well, you are the one that said it was a dump, a that it was terrible. like that. Okay. And so Candlestick is an actual dump. Candlestick was terrible. The idea that the they're equal is ridiculous. Do you think the food experience at a ballpark is important? I think it's a factor. Absolutely. Okay. I absolutely think so. But obviously, so it's like a bottom it, five food park. It is not a good food ballpark. Okay. It's not. It is but not. You think I, it's I agree. Still so nice. That even though it's a bottom five food park, it's it's so good. Everything else is so much better that it's number one. Yes. All right, well, whatever. whatever. Yes, I do. Whatever. You'd you rather know, go there Wrigley, than Wrigley, Wrigley's food stinks. Wrigley's got Wrigley's Whole Foods food nearby, is, though. You can walk to that Whole Foods. But that doesn't count. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, if we're going to do that game, like, you know, the like the best... Uh, I'm gonna get, uh, tip my hat. This is a Jared Diamond they thing from back the in the day on the Mets uh, beat. Taco Bell that I really liked. I'm, I'm really upset. About yeah, that. well, that good riddance for that. What? But like, oh. you know, you you could like get an app and order something, and when the clubhouse shut down, right, and the field shut down, you pop out of the park, grab your food, and go right back up. Like it was so perfect. Like at Wrigley Field, you could just circumvent the terrible food altogether. By the way, the concessions because they have at all those Field restaurants around there. Stadium. So no, they're there. not. Oh yeah, no, uh, Andy! No, they're not. Stop! <laughs> okay. Like they're All not. Right. All right. Now neither are good. Neither of them are good. Uh, okay. One thing I learned from I learned a couple things from this story. Uh, I learned uh, that Safeco Park is no longer named Safeco Park. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I learned uh, that SunTrust Field is now called Truist. Is that true? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is true yeah. or true-ish. And then uh, I uh, relearned that uh, AT&T Park is uh, Oracle Park now. So I'm, right. I'm pretty, That's I'm pretty not locked confusing. in on what is the name of the ballparks. 
What's your favorite park, Andy? Ah, <sighs> hmm, probably Citizens Bank Park. Oh yeah, why? Why is that? Great food. Because a lot that I was a pretty polarizing one on the list. Yeah, I mean you actually. have it. Wait, you have it at number twelve, which is outrageous. Uh, it's got great food. Outrageous. Yeah, it's got great food. It's got great sight lines. You know, uh, you know, easy enough at you know parking there at the sports complex. I mean, I think it's got everything you'd want. You know, at a ballpark, it's great. So the ones that I feel like, in retrospect, that I did underrate yeah. severely, PNC, which I had pretty high up in Pittsburgh, I still probably underrated it. Um, I think I underrated Coors Field by a lot. Um, and, and I don't know why. I, well, I think I have a guess. The first time I went there was a giant snowstorm. Yeah. Uh, and it was just an awful, awful three days, highlighted only by like this NBA Jam tournament with Jorge Castillo, Andrew Kay, and Tony DeComo at a bar nearby. Mm. Like that was like the only highlight of that first three days there because like it just snowed the whole time. So I think it might have colored my impression of the place, but in retrospect, I really, really underrated it. So if I had to do this over again, that's up there pretty high. Um, I like Citizens Bank Park too, yeah. a lot. Um, but I don't know if I can vault it higher than where I've got it just because there are others that I think are just straight up better. Yeah. But it is an awesome ballpark. And I've been there as a fan too. It's like super comfortable. Yeah, it's great. Um, they did they did it right, yeah. So I, I agree with you on that. In one. no particular order, the, my five favorite parks are uh, Citizens Bank Park, Safeco, or whatever they're calling it. I don't know, T-Mobile Park. Right. Um, I think City Field is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Target Field and uh, the Trop. I love all five. <laughs> Uh, I know why you like the Trop so much. Why didn't you uh, explain that briefly? <laughs> the Trop's great. Going, what the fuck is wrong with this the guy? The Trop right is now? great. The food's good. Uh, you know, easy to get to as long as you, you know, leave at two o'clock and not six. Um, you know, <laughs> the, you know, it's a, it's a fun place. There's weird stuff. They have like a bunch of kitsch, you know, like a keyboard cat and all these like weird internet memes from 2006 that they still use, you know, like entourage clips. I really like going to the. Trial. I thought it was DJ Kitty, wasn't it? DJ Kitty. Oh yeah, it was what DJ Kitty, not keyboard. They probably and use then, keyboard uh, is, cat and DJ Kitty. And which which nasty boy is up in there all I the mean, time? Is that knobs? Knobs might own the team at this point. Those guys basically <laughs> run Clearwater. So. Look, I, I will say the trop is probably okay, okay. So strip away all the other shit and like just look at it from work. The trop is oh, number the one. The best place to work in the world. Like yeah. it's the best I place to work in drop. baseball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great. so great press box. Like you're down two flights of stairs. You're yep. where you need to be. It's freaking yep. amazing. You can hear the players talk during the games. It's great. <laughs> it's really great. I love the drop. Is that an advantage for them, by the way, I, that they're used to all of this? If they actually go on with this experiment, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Like I want to like get on one of their Zoom calls and just like ask with a straight face. Like, is it going to be weird playing without fans in the yeah. stands? Like, and like try not to start yeah, laughing. Yeah, the Rays are just like, no, we're good. We're we're ready for that. <laughs> so we also did a uh, a joint project this week where we talked to twenty people in baseball. We sent them all a survey, uh, basically having them rank the or basically put a rating, not rank so much, put a rating on kind of the the 60 best pitchers in the sport and we got some pretty interesting results I guess you know we were trying to basically say like okay who are the aces in baseball which is you know a subjective question 
but I think every, you know, evaluator, executive, you know, GM or whatever has his own interpretation of what is an ace. But we wanted to see, like, if we send it out to enough people, what's the consensus? And we got back, right, basically, like, what we thought the consensus might be, that there were, there were 20 surveys, only four pitchers were unanimous choices as number ones. It was Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Jacob deGrom, which – I mean, I would think that's about what you were expecting, Mark. I mean, maybe Strasburg, yeah. I thought, had a, had a bit more of a chance to, to be up there, but he only finished yeah. four votes shy. So, yes, like I, I think going into it, that was probably, you know, the, the hardcore group that you're right. thinking there. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I think you already mentioned Strasburg right yeah. there. Like that to me was one of the most interesting ones just hearing people's thoughts on this guy and how they viewed his career walker bueller yeah up there too um but i don't know like since this is like a show about behind the scenes like how do we write these stories right like we had a discussion about what an ace would be right right? like we kind of changed it mid-course you like I, i mean my thought was like there was a certain point standings that once you got to it once you cleared the bar and it was pretty high by the way you're an ace um and then the other thought was you got to be unanimous, which I thought, and obviously that's where we ended up going. And I think it did like really reduce the number, but I, I don't know. I think that's, it was the right number at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, cause I think the whole point is that, you know, the title of who is an ace is in, in the scouting parlance, who's a number one is like, it's a, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like a crown, you know, it's like something you have to win and earn and keep in a way, you know, it's not like you have one good season and then all of a sudden you're a number one, you have to like check a certain number of boxes in terms of both like ability and production. And you have to do it year after year after year after year. Um, And so, yeah. And I think it should be something that's unanimous, right? Like an ace should be someone who you go to every person in baseball and say, you know, what is Jacob DeGrom? Right. Like who, like what is Garrett Cole? And every person would say, you know, he's a number one, he's an ace. Um, whereas if you go to, as we, you know, just this small sample of 20 people, you say, what is Steven Strasburg? You know, the overwhelming majority say he's a number one, but you had guys who had him as like a, a two or a three, right? Yeah, I did. And like one of them that I talked to who, you know, is a, is a pretty high ranking guy who really knows his right. stuff, by the way, I've known this guy a long, long time. Had just a really, we had a really fun discussion mm-hmm. just about uh, consistency, how um, you know, also just the way his career was perceived because of sure. all the stuff that that went on around him, and and so yeah, like I, I think it was twenty people. I think we got the right twenty mm-hmm. because the one thing that I, I that stood out to me, and, and we mentioned it in the intro of the piece, uh, these were guys with all kinds of backgrounds, right? Like we have people who have been in baseball for like two years, and we got people in baseball for like four right. decades that have answered this right. thing. We got people that have, you know, like we they're, have done just about every job there right. is, right? So um, I, I think that was a lot of fun. But like the one thing about, that I thought about when you're talking about the standard for an ace, right? And how it should be small. Uh, there's a decent amount of the people that we talked to with, with, a, with a scouting background, mm-hmm. okay? You guys, like scouts don't stick their necks out on stuff. <laughs> right. They don't, right? Like when you think about like they, they, that's the last thing they want. And we can debate, right, whether that's good or bad. Because I think 
a fear of being wrong can color evaluations. Right. And I think if you talk to good scouts, they admit the same thing. But they also have a job they're trying to keep. And if you're if you're like sticking your neck out all the time and then having it knocked off, right? right? right. Because like the guy didn't like pan out, uh, you're going to be out of a job. So like there is a balance right. to it. But I guess my point is like if you make it unanimous, which we did, and it's why I think ultimately it's what we settled on it. Um, that means those scouts are having to stick their neck out. And if you got a bunch of people willing to do that, that carries a lot of weight yeah. because those folks do not do that kind of thing. Right. They don't throw out ace. They don't throw out like, you know, eighties. They don't, right. you know what I'm right, saying? Right. Like they don't, they don't throw those out willy nilly right. that like, you know, that, that a lot of people do. So to me, that was, you know, when I was thinking through, we're talking about this, that's what brought me over to the other side right. of it, where it's like, okay, unanimous makes sense right. here. Like a way to think about it is like, does Mike Trout have an 80 tool? <laughs> I mean, he's an 80 everything, ain't he? No, but like, no. no. Does he have 80 yeah. power? I don't think so. No, no, no. 70, you know, maybe 70. But, you know, like, does he have an 80 hit tool? No. So, like, that's the, you know, to be... Like he's the best, probably maybe the best player of all time. But like you know, the the eighty is a it's the literal top of the scale. It's as good as you can possibly be, you know, based on like human potential. And so understanding that that you know it takes a lot to get up to you know to that point. I guess you know with scouts and so um, you know it was it was interesting seeing the responses. Like I was, I think like someone like Zach Greinke was like really underrated on the list. Um, and I think there was a lot of sort of betting on younger guys in a way. Um, but it was, it was interesting to see like just the diversity of opinion on someone like Clayton Kershaw or Chris sale. You know, there was, I talked to one guy who was just like, I have no idea what he is. Like, I have no idea. Whereas if you talk to him, you know, a year ago, it'd be like, Oh, Chris sales, like a number one, you know? And I think with someone like Strasburg, you know, if you talk to people in after the 2018 season, say, what is Steven Strasburg? Be like, Oh, he's a two, he's a three, you know, I don't know. Um, but with the way he pitched in the postseason this year, I think a lot of fans say like, wow, I mean, there's no one I'd rather want on the mound in a game seven, but that also is not necessarily, that doesn't make you an ace necessarily, you know? And that's kind of what we found with like Madison Bumgarner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Like that's, you know, yeah, he was the opposite effect, right. right, Andy? Like people were just like, if you had a game seven, give me right. mad bum, right. but like everything else, uh, you yeah. know, like so his, I feel like his grades were all over the map, right? right? There was big time variance with him. Um, like your point about how it trended overall is interesting too. Like we've seen it, I think it reflected the shift that we've seen already where stuff is so important yeah, yeah. to these folks. It be, and I think that's because you can measure it so much better. And because you can measure it so much better, it is now a safer bet. And and I think we mentioned it in there too. There has never been a more risk-averse time in baseball right. than right now. And I think it's only going to get, you know, more amplified, you know, because of all of the things we're going through right now and the domino effect there of, um, you know, like, are we going to be seeing these giant deals that we've seen before? No. And I think that's going to be, uh, I think that sort of invites teams to take uh, chances on some guys based really just on stuff right. and how it's measured. Right. Um, so I think we saw that reflected in this too. And it's why you got the variance in Mabum. Yeah. The performance is there is there. And like, I, I'm not going to argue with somebody that tells me that this guy, if you have a game seven, this is the dude you want. Who's going to argue right. that with that guy in his track? Nobody. Right. But yeah, like we talk about stuff and like how that's measured, how it's interpreted, which is different from team to team. I, I think 
that kind of stuff popped up in this and was super interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you had to throw a game seven, who do you want on the mound? Jacob Degrom. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I and and I say that with zero hesitation because yeah. um, I I mean I think he I also think he's the best pitcher in baseball and I've seen him in that in, in an elimination game uh, when he had nothing right. by the way and to do what he did that night this is 2015 this is the uh, you know game five of the NLDS against the Dodgers who were damn good yeah let's um, not let's, that was a good let's, ball not, let's not go crazy and, there they, they were fine. <laughs> The 2015 well, Dodgers Jake, did not have, yeah, whatever, whatever. DeGrom was incredible that. We night. can quit. I mean, that, and look, okay, it's a playoff caliber yes, baseball let's, team. No you know, doubt go, about go back it. and okay. look at that lineup. Someday. So, <laughs> and, look, and look at how many guys well, were hurt in that lineup. Well, I but, think what, about DeGrom that was night. Incredible, that game, anyway. And, and, right. And, and when he had, like, for him, relatively nothing for him, yeah. like, what he had that night during a regular season is probably a game that gets away from him, but because, this, his team's got, you know, it's back against the wall. Here's this dude just competing his ass yeah. off against a good team under the lights with everything on the line. Uh, it was impressive. So, I, you know, admittedly, right, like uh, I, I'm biased. I saw it. Yeah. I saw it firsthand and I watched him. You know, I covered him. So I saw the growth. I saw him in tough spots a lot. Um, I can't imagine there's somebody that I would stake, uh, you know, a game seven to besides Jake. If if he's on the table as a choice for me, I think it's an easy decision. What about you? Strasburg. Okay, go I on. Mean, he is like statistically the best postseason pitcher of his generation. Um, he's had a lot of cracks at it and is almost always really good. Um, you saw what he did last postseason when you know he was the best pitcher. Uh, on the Nationals, uh, a team that also employed Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer. Um, he's been really good also in like 2017, you know, uh, 2016. Like whenever he gets the ball, he's really good. And, you know, stuff-wise, he is capable of, you know, overpowering hitters, but also adjustments-wise, he's really, really good. There were multiple times during the postseason last year when he was tipping in the early innings and they, the, the nationals caught it and corrected it. And like, he was able to, um, you know, basically bear down, but I think there's, you know, like you could make a case. I mean, you could obviously make a case for, for Garrett Cole, right. You could, you know, pretty, you could pretty clearly make a case for DeGrom. I think you can make a case for Walker Bueller. Um, I think I would take, you know, I think this idea that I want Bumgarner on the mound in game seven, I think that's kind of, we're remembering 2014 pretty vividly and, you know, pretending that the last five years haven't happened. You know, it's kind of the same thing with like John Lester, where it's like, it's no slight to John Lester. He's, you know, he's like had a tremendous career, but like there's lots of other guys I'd rather have on the mound than him just because he was really good, you know, several years ago. But yeah, I mean, I think my the the three it would be Strasburg and then you know Cole or Degrom and then Bueller probably would be my the guys I'd want on the mound. Man, so like let's get back like Strasburg. Yeah. What the discussion that I had about him was so interesting um, with people, and I, it it just made me think like how hard it is, and and you mentioned it too with with Bumgarner. Once there's a reputation, yeah, for somebody, yeah. it's like impossible. To change it, and and I would you know, and I didn't like have deep discussions with the the others, uh, with every single person that um, you know rated Strasbourg for us, or, or 
or the or the guys who didn't have him as an ace, right? Like I only had mm-hmm. a deep discussion with one or two of those guys, but I just I came away from it thinking like, what else would this dude have to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, well, okay, so if he's not an yeah. ace, and I wish I'd asked this like more directly during these conversations, but it's like, all right, if he's not an ace right now, like what more? Yeah, does he got to go shove again? Right. Like, does he have like if this, is that enough? Like, or and and I think this happens a lot in baseball. You have it in your head that he's one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it's going right. to be, you know, and that and that happens a lot. Even now, when people are smarter and like using more information or at least try to be more cognizant of those things, I think that 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 sort of thing happens more often than we think, you know, when people are evaluating players. Right. Well, I think I mean, look at it this way, like, you know, so do you have like specific like do you have objective criteria that you think an ace needs to hit? Like what do you like? Like a like number? is there like I mean or how whatever? many innings? Like, how many innings per year should a guy throw? Like what should his ERA plus be? I mean like do you do you think those matter? I actually go the opposite, uh-huh. dude. To be honest with you, the more the more I see it, like and this is actually one of the best conversations I had. So this is a guy with a deep pitching background. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in scouting now. Has been an executive. Um, really knows his stuff with pitching. Mm-hmm. Okay, like and, and the teams he's worked for, they lean on this guy uh, for that and. Um, <laughs> a lot of the conversation was how does he make the rest of the team feel? And like, uh, you can't measure it, but when you've covered a team, when you're around a team, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what those guys look like and sound like and behave like and, and, and play like when they know that their guy is on the mound. So how do you measure that? I don't know. You really can't. But to me, when you, you strip it all down, that's what we're really talking about, isn't it? Like, is the guy on the mound that night the one that, you know, is going to make you feel great about winning that game? And if you feel great about winning that game, you're probably going to play better, right? It's that effect of, like, rising boats, right? The tide rises, everybody else rises. That's what an ace does to me. So, no, there's no measurement for it. But I think the four guys we landed on, that's exactly what they do. Sure. Well, I think, like, yes, there is a there is that subjective component. I think the thing with Strasburg is that one, he is battling the subjective reputation that he was a guy who was injury prone or didn't want to pitch when the team shut him down or, you know, this and the other thing. He's been battling a lot of negative perceptions, you know, throughout his career, but also just at the same time, like his production year by year is not as consistent and not as good as a pitcher like Jacob deGrom. Like, you know, mm-hmm. since 2012, right, Strasburg averages 168 innings a year with a 129 ERA plus, right? Jacob deGrom, mm-hmm. since 2014, averages 184 innings a year with a 148 ERA plus. Like, he's just a notably better pitcher, you know, like right. almost 20% right. better based on, you know, ERA plus. And I just think for someone like Strasburg, he fits into, he's a, like, he's a number two for me. Like based on mm. what he does year in and year out, do I want him over any other pitcher for I pitch one game? Yes, but I think the title of ace isn't just who do you want on the mound in Game Seven. It's who do you want on April first and May first and June first and you know every single day, thirty times to thirty three times a year. And Strasburg just isn't that guy. He's still amazing. He's still like a guy you want on your roster. But that's how. For me, and I think it was really interesting to see this borne out and talking to so many people in the industry, that's what the standard is, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, here's, here's one I heard that was interesting. Like, what another fun part of that story was, was 
just kind of hearing from people that we didn't talk right. to for that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. various opinions. Yeah. And here's my favorite one so far. Strasbourg better than Scherzer. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it, it like better right now? Sure. Yeah. Like yeah. that they would take Strasbourg right now. They just think he's just straight up better In 2020, than yes. But Max Scherzer's a Hall of Famer and Steven Strasbourg isn't. You know, like it's a, it's again, it's a, it's, it's a subjective, you know, sort of of discussion, but from an objective perspective of like, who's been better over the past, you know, three years, five years, seven years, it's Max Scherzer. You know, there's three pitchers who have really a, uh, you know, a case for like, who was the best pitcher of the previous decade. I mean, it's, it's Kershaw's probably number one, but then it's either Scherzer or Verlander and Strasburg's just not really in that discussion but like who would you, but it's also like okay who would you rather have for 2020 would you rather have max scherzer or let's say 2021 because this year was messed up like max scherzer in 2021 or walker bueller right but then you know but is walker bueller an ace yet i don't know you know it's it's a, like the whole thing is like it's a you know it's a it's a it's a crown like you you get it and then you hold on to it you know but it's also it's your crown like someone else can't take it from you you know, like another pitcher doesn't take the ace crown from you. It's like everyone's climbing their own mountain in a way. And once you're at the top of your mountain, it's your job to, you know, to stay there, essentially. And that, I think, is something that people have a, a hard time sort of, you know, um, like dealing with, you know. It's like I was interviewing uh, George Saunders once, like a long time ago, the fiction writer. And he was, I was asking him how, like, he compares himself to, like, other writers. And he kind of made that analogy where he was like, I don't look at it as, like, I'm trying to, you know, you know, like, be better than so-and-so. I look at it as every writer's on their own mountain. And you're just trying to get to the top of yours. And it doesn't matter what speed you do it. Or it doesn't matter if someone's higher up on their mountain. It doesn't matter if someone's mountain is, you know, taller. It's just you got to get to the top of your mountain. And that is, like, what being an ace is it's like there's certain guys who have the the physical requirements right to have a mountain that classifies as ace them and then there are certain guys a smaller portion of those guys and that's a very small portion of guys to begin with right like you know like someone like mike soroka you know who had a great year last year but like evaluators are just like look he was great i just don't think the stuff's good enough to be a bona fide number one doesn't mean he's not going to be a good pitcher you know doesn't mean he's not going to be like a, a guy who makes a ton of money and has great success, but he just doesn't have the stuff that fits the profile of a number one, right? But so the, the small portion of guys who have the stuff and the ability and the durability to get there, right? Then there's the even smaller portion of the guy, those guys from that like contingent who can get to the top. And those are the aces. There's mm-hmm. only four, I think. Right, I, right. Know. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what a great analogy. The, the mountains, and, and that, that's a great way yeah, to put George it. Yeah, George Saunders, man. Um, He's great. Very nice well, like, man. So here's a, one of the coolest conversations of that whole exercise to me was when we were talking about Verlander to somebody, like speaking of mountains. Mm-hmm. So like there's, yeah, the idea of hanging on to the right. crown. But what about those that have the crown, lose it, get it back? Mm-hmm. Like get to the top of the mountain, fall down a bunch, and climb back mm-hmm. up. Like to me, that is incredibly impressive. Right. And when you look at how Justin Verlander's gone about it, and now you see stories about him revamping his mechanics because he wants to play, you know, what I think it was like five, eight years longer, which, you know, I think he's 37. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's big ask. But, like, it does tell you something about sure. the guy, sure. right? 
So I think, you know, if you start to look at at these top four guys and trying to differentiate between them, which is obviously impossible, but that to me was one where you're like, huh, that's one hell of a case for Justin Verlander as the ace of aces is that he freaking fell and got back up. And that is hard to do. Well, of the, of the four, him and Scherzer have done it the longest and Scherzer sort of underwent his transformation at an earlier portion of his career. You know, he wasn't, he didn't show up at the sort of level that, that Verlander did, um, but Verlander sort of figured things out, you know, after going to the Astros. I mean, I think, you know, in that vein, like Clayton Kershaw's in that valley right now, right? Where like he was the bona fide number one pitcher in the sport for several years. And then circa basically, you know, post 2017, it became really difficult to make that argument. And he spent the last couple of years, you know, basically trying to get back and figuring out what his body's capable of doing and like, how does he stay healthy? You know, how does he maintain sort of the, the form he had? And I, and I talked to a couple of people who are saying stuff like, you know, I have him as a, you know, a, a third tier type guy right now, you know, probably like pitching with the kind of a number two, number three, probably closer to a number three's arsenal, but given his makeup and his drive, like he could get back to number one. You know, you, he's like a lot of guys said some version of like, I don't want to bet against him because they know, the amount that he works, the amount of, you know, time and effort that he dedicates to this. You know, he was feeling really, really healthy this spring for the first time in a while. He had gone to driveline in the off season. You know, he didn't have to rehab an injury. Um, you know, so like he's a guy who, you know, finished a lot lower on this list than he would have if we'd done this in 2017. But he's also someone who has the ability to rebound if, you know, there's just a, some physical stuff that he's going to have to like figure out. Like, can he be, an elite pitcher without an elite fastball. And that's something that he's in the process of trying to figure out right now. So when we created the applicant category, Mm -hmm. I feel like we were thinking about dudes like Walker Buehler and Jack Flaherty. But the way you describe it right there, Andy, why couldn't Clayton Kershaw? And by the way, that's where he did finish, I think, right? Yeah. It's interesting. No, No, I don't think anyone who we surveyed actually designated him as an applicant because he's either an mm -hmm. ace or he's not, you know? Right. But I think right. I think like he actually does classify because he's look, he's applying to get his yes. crown back. You know? He's yep. he's trying yep. to, you know, to to reclaim it in a way. And, you know, and a lot of people in the industry said like they wouldn't bet against him, you know. There was one more, like to me, one of the more most like interesting dudes that was evaluated here, Charlie Morton. Yeah. Speaking of like uh, just an odd path. I mean, <laughs> look at how often Charlie Morton is thrown like uh, like last postseason, yeah. right? Like for the Rays, like uh, they needed him. He was yeah. there. And like, uh, I, I'll, well, I can't remember what year it was. Was that year that he had this like velocity jump and spring was training? When he went to the Astros, yeah. Yeah. So like one of the first games he threw in the spring was against the mm-hmm. Mets. So Mets go down. I'm I'm still on the beat, uh, watching this game. There's a couple of scouts sitting up in the box because I, I mean, the weather must have been terrible or something. So anyway, Charlie throws his first couple of pitches, and I look over, and like I've known these guys a while. The looks on their faces, dude. Like I mean, it looked like a cartoon. There's a couple of like jaws on the ground. Like it was like, and they're like they're like did the double takes. Yeah. They're like they're chattering with each other, looking at me like, did you just fucking uh-huh. see that? Like and he's like it's 96, 95, yeah, 96. Yeah. They're like whoa, this is weird. And so off we go with Charlie Morton. And like, you know what? Um, I, I don't think you know, he, he was one of those I think applicant, kind of mid-applicant yeah. guys. But I feel like if people weren't biased by what he had done previous to like three, four years ago, um, if you just look at like what he's been recently and like, and it's not just been one year, by the yeah. way, now at this point, um, 
dude, Charlie Morton is like a borderline case for for Aestum. If if you're talking, if you're gonna weigh heavily a guy that you want out there and like makes you feel good, and you talk to people in Tampa, um, he's that guy right. for them. I think a lot of those folks think so. Um, very intriguing case, and you know, it made me wonder. Like, and so this is kind of the bummer. I asked somebody, "Well, what does he got to do to be an ace?" Because he didn't put yeah. him up there. It's like I don't think there's anything he can do. And I was like, "Well, that's not the spirit of this." Well, <laughs> like, but, but I it mean, is, he's though. still pitching, but, so of course you uh, can. I mean, like, if you're still pitching, yes, you can. Uh, I think. Like, I mean, you know, like know. if if you still have a chance to go out there and win ball games for your team, then to me, like you shouldn't limit somebody's ability to be classified. I mean, he's, I, I he's literally never thrown 200 innings. Okay, so that, let's get back and to that. that. Is, like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, it used really? to mean something, like, and that's and that's that's well, part it doesn't, of the, that's part of the issue in trying to determine this is you have a lot of teams who do not care about that at all, you know? Well, it's relative, though, isn't it? I mean, like, it, it, 200 innings is awesome. And, like, I, I, let me take that back. I didn't mean to say it means nothing. It means a yeah. lot, okay? 200, and 200-inning 200 guy is rare, and it means a lot. But what happens when it becomes so rare that it's not relevant in terms of trying to measure people for what's actually out there? Like when you have a major league team last year who's, who's team leader through 102 and two-thirds innings. I mean, 102 innings is your team leader. It was Trevor Cahill with the Angels. How right? that, That's only how How'd that team do, Mark? I, not so not so hot. Yeah. So they, so they you struggled. think you want to you want to drag the rest of the industry down no, to these no, no. like what I'm garbage saying standards? Is like if, no <laughs> no no. What I'm saying is what? that you you're it's going that way anyhow. That's an extreme example, but like you just see how people are using their like 200 innings is starting to become something that's like 250. It's like yeah, that's great, but like if we're gonna start using that as a quote unquote standard to measure people by, and that's like the goal. Well, Who's doing that? Nobody. Well, okay, and but wouldn't you, is going, wouldn't you? Is quickly getting that direction. Wouldn't you argue, Mark, that if it's exceedingly rare to get to 200 innings, and if the best pitchers are generally the only ones who get to do it, then those who get to this rare marker should be able to hold the rare title of being an ace. Right. I don't think I'm arguing that. I think that what all I'm saying is that it's not too far off in the future where that just becomes a useless standard when it starts in these discussions, just because, you know, a lot of time, 200 innings was something that, you know, a lot of getting to that point was within a pitcher's control. Mm -hmm. That's less true every mm -hmm. year, just because of like, you know, the philosophies that teams have taken on about workloads and, and how they're deploying their bullpens and, and openers and like days rest and yada, yada, yada. Like it, you know, it's just it becomes less and less about your performance that gets you to 200. Like there's already a cap on you for a lot of these guys, and and so I don't know how useful that is here in the near future when you've got all of those factors coming into play determining what a guy actually throws, rather than merit. Yeah, I disagree. <laughs> I just you're wrong. And you think Dodger Stadium's a dump? So I mean, you know, there yeah. you go. Uh, so uh, speaking of sort of. Uh you know, uh, dystopian thoughts as like pitcher usage and things like that. Baseball is coming back, Mark. Uh, I'm writing a column about this for later in the week and it's, I'm sort of still, still working out the kinks on it uh, and trying to figure out exactly what I want to say, but we can do maybe a little bit of a preview here and maybe this will make the column better. Um, but I am interested in how you feel, Mark, about this idea of basically just like how, 
fans, you know, people who write about the sport, people who are, you know, invested in it, whether, you know, for economic reasons or emotional reasons, like how you're supposed to weigh the potential for joy that this season could bring and the sort of distraction and all the you know, potential, uh, you know, entertainment that we draw from it versus the context in which it's being performed in, you know, in that we are in the grips of a pandemic that has, you know, killed 135,000 Americans and the virus is still spreading and there's really no end in sight. And I'm just kind of wondering like how, like, you know, cause we talk about this stuff all the time, how we're grappling with how to write about it. But I also, you know, think like a lot of fans seem like they're really struggling to grapple with it. Do you get that sense? I yeah. do. And I'm surprised by that, to be mm. honest, because, uh, it's almost like because what you're you're, you're talking about, Andy's kind of related, right? In, in what we do, like writing about it, and then like thinking about what the where the fans are at, right? Because that's going to determine how we approach it. Um, it's like a damned if you do and damned if you don't right now. I feel like if you write that, hey, this is you know a questionable idea, people get sure. pissed. Uh, when you write about baseball, people get right. pissed. Like it's it's just. Right. And I think that's sort of this really uncomfortable balance that's defining our entire era right now. Like our entire existence in this country right now is basically a bunch of people trying to regain their footing right. when the ground shifted beneath them, right? Like that's that we're all doing it. Right. So, um, you know, how, how do I look at it? I'm going to steal an idea I heard the other day, um, which because I've been trying to think through this too, right? Even like independent of like knowing that we're going to talk about this on the pod, like just... In general, like I've been trying in my head to try to try to like get to a point that I feel like I'm, you know, reconciling all of this. Um, I heard this on the Effectively Wild, actually, great podcast. Never heard. Um, of it. I think Meg <laughs> Meg Rowley at Fangrass said it. Uh, so there's a season, and yeah, you got to be sensitive to the context of the season, but you also have to tell the story of this season. Like if they're gonna do it, and they're gonna play. There's stories to be told there, and they ought to be told still, yeah. um, you know, because that's just what we do. So that's not like, you know, an encompassing answer and probably kind of a dodge because like for, for me personally, it's still uh, a conflicting feeling. But I'm going to hang on to that one because um, it does make sense to me. We tell stories. There's a story sure. to be told. Um, you know, it's an unusual one. It's an unprecedented one. Um, but so I'm just going to try to do the best I can to tell it, um, even though it is very difficult to do. And there are going to be moments where it is not fun to do because of the context that you mentioned. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, it's interesting, right? You think about like telling stories, right? <clears throat> so like one of the more charming things that's happened this spring is uh, the, the legend of Chico, uh, Francisco Herrera who's a, a Dodgers clubby. He's been there with the organization for like 12 years. Right. And he's been playing the field in these inter-squad games. Right. And he's been playing left field and he's pretty good. Like he's made a bunch of good catches. He threw out Chris Taylor trying to tag up on him. You know, it's like a fun thing for Dodgers fans that they can check, you know, the inner squads every day and they can see this guy, you know, this like 30 year old undersized guy, you know, playing left field and like, you know, having fun and doing all this stuff, right? It's like a really heartwarming story, right? Right, yeah, it is. Except the reason that he's playing left field in inter-squad games in an empty ballpark that was supposed to be being prepped for the All-Star game is because there's a pandemic that's killed 135,000 people. And, like, I don't want – like, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to yell at people who are, like, taking joy 
out of, you know, like the story of Chico or any of this stuff, you know, like any camaraderie or any fun things that happen for baseball. I'm speaking more to just like how disorienting it feels sometimes to try and balance these two things, you know, like just how like difficult it is to maintain an equilibrium between being sort of respectful and observant of the conditions that have caused this season. And then also trying to get anything positive out of it, you know? And it's like, so I'm trying to write this column and not basically scream at people like, by the way, the coronavirus is still around. Cause like, you know, I need a new bit. Um, but, <laughs> but really like, think about, you know, like just how quickly, how quickly we normalize exceedingly bizarre things. Like, has there been a bad day for baseball this week? Has there been a day where you're like, oh my gosh, like this isn't going to work? Probably not, right? But then think about just like stuff that happened, you know, Monday, right? Monday was like six guys on the Cubs couldn't practice because they didn't get their tests in time. And one of the tests was compromised. Uh, I think Jordan Hicks opted out, you know, and then you know, there was a, like, the, you know, a day later, right? 11 umpires opted out. You know, Tyler Glasnow reported that, you know, he had COVID and he temporarily lost, you know, sense of taste and smell. And this is all just like, oh, okay, well, cool. All right. You know, not that bad. And it's like, this is the sort of bargain that baseball is, you know, with the, like fans and folks who cover the sport are kind of being asked to, to, to make in a way that we're having to balance these incredibly strange actions. And if you freak out about them, right? You're probably, you're probably losing perspective. <clears throat> if I were covering, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays for the athletic, and instead of writing about Tyler Glass now coming back, I wrote about how horrible it was that Tyler Glass now had tested positive for a respiratory illness with unknown long-term complications that is, you know, engulfing the state of Florida. Fans would probably be like, okay, stop, like, let it, let it go, you know? But also at the same time, like, you can't just write like, hey, he looked good coming back. You know, it's, it's just such a difficult balancing act i think for everyone for like you know for us but also for our readers and the people who consume the sport and i just wonder how that is going to play out i guess just sort of trying to you know not get disoriented by everything well uh, first of all the word disoriented is perfect because i mean it really i feel this i feel it i feel disoriented by what to make of this um uh the problem with it is like there's really two choices, right, Andy? Like you can be disoriented or you can just like stick your head in the sand and pretend nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like the latter is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's unacceptable for us especially, right? We're journalists. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. I kind of think like we've had too much of that go on overall. So uh, if the choice really is just to be disoriented, that like what makes it so difficult is that the, the pull of sports as a whole what we do, right? Why why we like to tell mm -hmm. these stories is that you have to suspend reality, and now we're living in a world in which you can't. Um, there is no suspending reality to, reality to this stuff. Like I, I mean, look, no sports would be any fun if you thought about them from a critical standpoint. Really, like right, like they really not even in a non pandemic scenario. When you think about what professional sports are, it can get awfully dark, awfully sure, quick sure, sure. if you're not willing to suspend right. reality, right? So, uh, like, we all know that. Um, I just think it becomes twice as dark, twice as difficult to do it when this is the scenario that we're facing. Right. And I think, like, a lot of things, the choices are pretend it's not happening or deal with all the bullshit that comes with acknowledging that right. it's happening, the reality of it. And that's where we're at. And, like, it, it, look, it takes a lot of bandwidth. It's fatiguing. Yeah. 
All right. Like, I'll tell you what, man, like I, I just do not give a shit what anybody thinks about anything right now. I've, I've spent a couple of months listening to it all. And you know what? No, enough. Just like I don't care. Like, well, you want what do you think about X topic? Yeah. Just Mark, I don't you, want to you hear don't, it. You don't I've, care I've about you don't care this. about anything until I send you a text that says, hey, man, I think you used maybe too many commas in your feature the other day. And then you have a meltdown for three weeks. Like, I don't like it when you do that because you know that I'll tailspin. <laughs> like, that really pisses me off. And then, like, it takes that hey, much longer to write the get, next Get a thing. message from our editor. Hey, have you checked in on Mark? He hasn't filed anything in a month. Well, I did text him and say there was one comma too many in his latest story <laughs> back in May. So, I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's where he went. Uh, I'm sitting there just at the computer going, I'll, I'll show you fucking moves yeah, too I'll, slow. I'll write, I'm going right. to write like Hemingway now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm never going to yeah. do that. I stink. But like <laughs> too many comments. But, I mean, it's also true. I do use too many comments, like to be fair. Right. Um, but like, yeah, it, it is. Disorienting yeah, is the perfect sure. word. And like, I think like you just, if it's, I guess the best answer I can come up with is like, if you're going to go through and pay attention to this, just like resign yourself to the fact that it's going to take up more bandwidth and it's right. gonna, you're going to feel this, right. right? Like there's no way to like, I think there's no ethical way to like watch this and just tune everything else right. out. Like that's not right, right. either. So then, th then the only answer is to deal with this disorienting effect the best that you can. Cause like, look, I don't believe you should just like not feel any joy from right. it either. Like for like, if the fan wants to feel joy from it and watch it and need a distraction, like, Hey man, great. Yeah. And you know what? Like I, I, I've been again, like conflicted about it yet as we get closer, I won't lie. Like I, I, I think about it. And it's like this is interesting again. Like it's starting to get, like you know, like sort of the end of the winter time, like in a normal mm -hmm. year where we start to get closer to like, all right, things are gonna start happening, right. and like now, like you're thinking right. about it, you know, like this idea of a sixty game sprint. How are they gonna manage these games? Uh, like I just can you ma like think about that, right? Like from the jump, every game managed like it's like September short hooks, like leverage situation. Like I mean, whatever. Wow. Like I think there's something Must interesting there to me. <laughs> I, I'm definitely watching Tigers Royals now. Oh yeah, baby. Oh God, how many times Enough. are they gonna play? Enough. Oh, well, no. you know it's interesting. Like you, Cody Bellinger was kind of talking about this, and like he was talking about the. Someone asked him just like, "How weird is this gonna be?" And he was like, "I think it's gonna be fun." And like in a way, right for players, like it. It maybe it is. Maybe it is like you know, like a cool, you know, sort of old, like a, it feels like going back to their roots of playing, you know, like when they were younger and it's like the best of the best, but you're also, you know, you don't have to deal with fans booing you or, you know, you can just kind of like, you know, compete and you can hear each other on the field. And, you know, there's like an intimacy and, in, you know, in the competition. And so like, yeah, there might be an appealing thing to that, uh, you know, appealing sort of qualities to that and it's like so okay so like it's his you know field of dreams but then for a lot of people right it's like the uncanny valley it's like you know it resembles baseball but it doesn't make you feel the way baseball <laughs> did you know and I think there's something in that divide where everyone is sort of residing now you know like I mean maybe you're right like I think it's a different question like there's what we asked Howard Bryant last week like should they be playing baseball in 2020 he was just like no not right now and I think you and I probably share the same thing like no this doesn't feel like the safest thing to do and the best possible choice right but it's a different question of like after you've decided okay like I don't think that this should exist but it's going to exist like then how do you deal with it do you just basically like you know we can't ignore it this is what we do for a living you know 
And I think also for a lot of fans, right, like it may be that they think that baseball is like unsafe or it's like adding to the level of, you know, risk that the country is facing as cases spread. But at the same time, you know, like maybe watching, uh, you know, Tigers Royals is a nice distraction from pondering whether it's safe to send your kid to school in a few weeks. Like maybe, I don't know. Like I don't have an answer. And I think it's probably going to change for people from day to day as they just try and get through this, you know? Absolutely. I was just going to make that same point because like it's happened personally. Like that's what it's been Mm -hmm. like for me. Like ask me on any given day and I'm all over the map. Um, So, but like ultimately I don't know what the, I, I think we just need to see this play out for yeah. a little bit, right? Like, I, I think once if they start, they get to the point where they actually start the season and they've got like some time in. I think at that point, it becomes very like we'll, we'll know the mood, I think, pretty yeah. quickly. You know, I, I mean, I, I feel like it just becomes now at that point when you've got games to see and you have a taste of what's going to how this is going to look. Um, we'll know what the appetite yeah. is. And I, I'm actually interested to see where people stand, like, let's say two weeks right. into this thing. I will say this. Um, it is encouraging that at the very least players are publicly taking this seriously. I think it's a good thing that some of the more, you know, famous people in the sport have spoken about the health and safety stuff. I think it's important that players are talking about the necessity of like wearing masks and like how like this thing isn't a joke. It's real, you know, like anyone can catch it. Like, I think it seems at the very least publicly that um, players and teams are taking this seriously, following the protocols and behaving in a responsible manner. It seems like the testing, while there are, there's been more than a few hiccups, they seem to be doing, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say as best they can, but they seem to be doing a competent job at it when they have committed to not drain resources from other places, although there are some, you know, Ken Rosenthal reported that the D-backs and some other teams have been using third-party facilities, but, you know, the, the lab in Salt Lake City has has gotten a high percentage of the test back in time. You know, it's like everyone seems to be trying hard, um, but even then, like, the gaps in the testing, you know, the, the compliance isn't 100%. Like, all that stuff starts to pile up as you get further and further down the line, and once games start, like, it's not easy to stage this summer camp in the midst of a pandemic. But that is the easy part compared to playing games on the road in the pandemic. And that's what we're going to find out in a couple weeks. By the way, the Toronto Blue Jays don't have a home yet. Uh, (laughs) The season starts next week, you know? So like, it's just, it's a lot. Bandwidth is a good, is a good word. I mean, it, it requires, I think a lot more bandwidth for fans to take this season in. And I think a lot of people, really enjoy sports because it doesn't necessarily require that bandwidth. It's just, you know, it's just something you do to distract you from, you know, your work and your family and the things that are, you know, occupying more serious parts of your life. It's a, it's a diversion. It's entertainment. It's, you know, sports are great. Um, But it's just a lot harder to enjoy them in these sort of circumstances. As you were qualifying your description of people behaving themselves with the word publicly, I just thought that publicly not one single player in Major League history has ever been hit by a pitch on purpose. Did you <laughs> know that? That's not true. Publicly? That's that, not it's true. Never... Someone's admitted it before. <laughs> after the fact, yeah, like years yeah, later, yeah. maybe, but not like, you know, in the moment after yeah. the game or whatever. But, uh, look, I 
I certainly I certainly hope that what is publicly being portrayed is accurate yeah. privately. And and to be fair, like I've I haven't heard anything egregious yet. Yeah. Like private I mean nothing like crazy where like nobody's right. perfect. Okay. There's always going to be when you're trying to behave like modify behavior to a large group group of people, no one's gonna right. be perfect. Um but I mean, I don't know. Like, I haven't heard from someone going, I, I fear for my safety. Like, hard, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, not like to that level. At least I have. Heard. I have. So I, I, have, I don't know. But it's, um, you know, but it's like isolated cases. And, and that's part of why I think, you know, from like a media perspective, right? Like, we have no idea what's going on. We have no idea. Right. Right. We, we can't, can't see it. anything. Like, yeah, I mean, like, even, even people going to the ballpark are having a hard time knowing who's on the field yeah, doing what. Yeah. It's. You know, like if Steve Gelbs at SNY weren't at the Mets game last night, literally, the, no one would know that Jacob DeGrom left the game. Like, look at Twitter. Look at how many people said that or didn't say that. Steve says it. And like, and like, and look, that's that's because it is so weird. It is hard to keep track of some of this stuff. It is so unusual. So, you know, anyway, like Steve Gelbs was all over it, though. And so, therefore, we know that one of the aces had a, a tight right. back. But... You know, like this. What does that say, right? Like, I mean, you yeah. that that just tells you how unusual all of this is. Even just like the normal setup, keeping track of everything. It's it's very yeah. very odd. Yeah. Well, I've known Steve since I was eighteen. He's a good man, and I support him and all the work he does. Um, well, <laughs> I appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, we're gonna have a guest next week. We're pretty excited about it. We'll maybe uh, announce it uh, later. Uh, in the week because uh, it's it's going to be a fun one. But uh, we are looking forward to getting closer to the season and just seeing, you know, how this year goes. I think, you know, it's, it's encouraging at the very least that the teams have avoided major calamity, but it's also um, there's, there's reason to, to feel a bit uneasy moving forward. So I guess we'll just, we'll see how it goes. Hey, eh, Mark. We will see how it goes. Looking forward to yeah, next week fun. too. That, that should well, be a good one. Well, thanks everyone for listening. You can rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating. That's the, no, that's the maximum amount of stars you can get. Give us all the stars. That's the aces that's for ace. podcasts. Make us I the ace five stars. Yeah. Uh, if you're not a subscriber. Yes, not applicants. <laughs> if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum. You can get 40% off for a one-year subscription, and that will make you an ace. Uh, signing off, this is Andy and Mark. Have a good week. Talk to you soon.